Uh, We're going to stand together and read uh, these words from the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 2. Will you read these words um, with me? One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, coach, is there anything you want to change? I mean, I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell that. Everybody's like, football is a team game, okay? It's not a team game, okay? I did my part, all right? I put in a great game plan. I mean, these players, they're horrible. These, my players are no good. I mean, everybody's like, no excuses. No, I got, you know what? I got 22 excuses, 11 on my offense and 11 on my defense. Our offensive coordinator is terrible. He gets half of his plays off of Madden rookie mode. I mean, the guy is no good. Do we have a chance next week? No, we don't. We're 0-8. We're not good at football. Red zone defense is like Oprah. Like, you get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. No credit to the other team, okay? The other team is awful. We tried to recruit bigger, better players to come play for us, but they went to good schools. I put in the game plan. These kids can't execute. Third down, terrible. I know we need better players. I get it. We can't win with the product we got in the field here. Like, I'm down to Rick Patino, some guys if I need to, but not at this level. I'm not going to jail for these kids. I mean, they're all talking in the locker room like, we're a team. We're in this together. No matter what happens, we're together. Like, not me, dude. I'm out of here. This team's terrible. We all have excuses, right? Uh, we all have an excuse why we can't do something. Um, call it, you know, somebody else, call it the status quo, whatever it is. There is something that exists currently that keeps you from doing what you feel called to do. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about it. And, and I think we call it the status quo. We call it the way it is, what is now. And, and many times that's the reason we don't move to the next level. We don't do the thing we believe we are called to do. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the status quo. If you have your sermon notes, then your bulletin. Uh, if you like filling things out or like filling in blanks, that it's there for you. Uh, we're going to go in a little bit different order um, than, than in your sermon notes, uh, but I think you'll be able to figure it out. Um, the, uh, I, I want to outline the problem um, because I, I believe it is a real problem today that the status quo is the best oppressor of change and the best excuse not to change. The way things are, the way it is right now, is an oppressor of change. It keeps things from changing. And if anything pushes against the status quo, if anything questions the status quo, there, there are powers that be, there's a system that pushes that back, that pushes against that. But the status quo is also the best excuse not to change. It sounds like this, I would, but blank won't let me. Right? You, you've said this. You know, you've come home from a hard day at work and, and, you know, your spouse says, well, how was your day? And you said, oh, it was terrible. You know, that thing I've been complaining about for the last month and a half, you know, it's the same thing over and over again, you know, and, and I know the right thing to do. You know, I, I, I know the, the, the right thing to have happen here, but, you know, my, my boss won't let me, but, you know, but, but HR won't let us, but, you know, Bob won't let me, but, but Susan won't let me, but whatever it is, there is something that keeps us from changing. There is something that keeps us from changing, and, and that excuse is actually something we use to protect our own ego, right? That, that excuse is something we use to protect ourselves, 
Because blame is the best change avoidance strategy. Blame is an excuse we use to not push against the status quo so that we won't fail. Because what would it mean if we failed? Maybe we would start defining ourselves as a failure, that, that we would feel worse about ourselves. And so we use this status quo, we use this excuse, we use this blame to avoid changing so that we won't have to try, so that we won't have to do anything about it. And this is, this is everywhere, right? This is at your work. This is in your home. You know, you see systems in your home, things that are happening with your, with your family, with your children, with your spouse. You see systems that are working. It happens in its routine over and over again. You say, you know what? Like, I don't think we should watch like 12 hours of Netflix on the kids. You know, like, I don't think that's helpful. Uh, but you know, it's just so convenient when you're trying to get ready in the morning, you know, and it just, it just works. You say like, I don't, I don't think we should do that, but it happens over and over again. It's a status quo. It's a system that works. And it happens uh, in, your, in your family. You know, I said, I think we should communicate better. Our, our family should talk. We, you know, we should call each other. Maybe we should call each other less, you know, or um, some of you. Anyways, um, you know, like there's this, th- there's this system. There's the way things are, and I see it in the way it should change, but I just don't do it because I'm afraid it will fail. I'm afraid people will push back. I'm afraid I'll disappoint people. I'm afraid I'll disappoint others. The blame is the best change avoidance strategy. That there's a reason the system exists. There's a reason the status quo exists. And it's because at some level it works. Or at some level it had worked. Right? There, there, there's a reason that your company, your family, uh, your home, there, there's a reason that it operates the way it does, and that's because it was viewed to succeed for a period of time. I, I believe this to be true. Nothing fails like success right? Nothing fails like a really good success story to say, oh man, the reason we do this is because way back when it was awesome. You know, the, the reason we do this is because way back when there was this huge success story and you say, well, I don't think that's the same now. I, I, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to operate right now because it's not working and it's not doing what we intended it to do. That I believe that every innovation has an expiration date. Every innovation, every pushing forward, every momentous step that we have ever made has expired or will expire at some point, right? And if you don't believe me, uh, take a look at this. How many of you remember floppy disks, right? Some of you remember floppy disks. This was an innovative thing at the time. The idea that, that you could take data and you didn't have to carry it around in the big computer. You could plug it into your computer and you could take it out and you could plug it into another computer. It blew our minds, right? The, these floppy disks stored 1.44 megabytes. M- megabytes. It, it would take 126,000 of these to, to, to power your phone, Think of that. This was innovative at a time. But if you walked up to somebody and said, do you have anywhere for me to plug this in? They wouldn't know what to do with you. I'd be like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what that is. You know, like I, I don't have that kind of drive. I, that, that doesn't make any sense anymore. That, that every innovation has an expiration date. And sometimes we operate with a floppy disk. You know, some of our businesses, some, of, some organizations of our churches, some systems that we have are still operating with floppy disks. Maybe even in our own families, we're celebrating a success that we had so many years ago and it's not working today, right? Every innovation has an expiration date. And, and if you don't believe me, take a look at this. Blockbuster, right? Oh my gosh, you don't have to buy movies anymore. 
You know, how many of you bought a movie and you were like, you know, why do we have this thing? I watched it once. You know, I'm not going to watch it again. And, and, and Blockbuster said, we've taken care of it. You know, you can rent movies from us. You know, the, the only key was that you had to rewind the movie. Remember rewinding the thing? I remember our VCR didn't rewind. And so we had that extra box on the side. Do you guys remember that thing? And you closed it and it was like the loudest sound you'd ever heard in your life. That, and it like rewound the tape. It was the coolest thing ever. And then, and then you had to you know, put it back in the box and you gave it back to Blockbuster. Or if you didn't give it back to Blockbuster, you instantly bought the movie. How many of you had Blockbuster movies left in your house that you had bought? Anybody? Yeah, there was one under my bed. You know, my mom's like, what's this? And I was like, well, it's ours now. You know, like <laughs> um, Blockbuster it was innovative for a time. The last Blockbuster just closed in Texas just a couple of weeks ago. It was an end of an era. It was innovative for a time, but it expired. It expired that, 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 you know, if you said, let's go to Blockbuster now on a Friday night, get movies for the weekend, so we, you know, we got Netflix, we have Hulu, we don't, we don't need that. It, it expired. It, it was innovative for a time, but it expired. Um, or finally, some of you um, remember uh, turning on your computer and, and hearing this, right? You, you, you remember this. You remember turning on your computer and, and going to a chat room? Do you remember that? Some of you. Yeah, and, and you would like turn on your computer and then you would just walk away because you knew it was going to take like 20 minutes, you know, before we ever got online. And then, you know, if your mom picked up the phone in the middle of this, right, it ruined everything. You weren't going to get online. And you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, and there's like all this anticipation and the noise. Like, what's going to happen? Are we going to, oh, we connected, you know? And it's like, yes, it happened. It worked, you know? And, and, and it was innovative, you know, the AOL online, that was like the internet provider. That's how you got to the internet. It was innovative for a time, but no longer. No longer. And I wonder how many of us are still operating with AOL. How many are, of us are still operating with Blockbuster? How many of us are still operating with floppy disks and our status quo and the way things work? Say it works. It works. Just don't mess with it. Don't push against it because it's worked. Remember we say, I know it doesn't work, but I don't want to try anything new because I'm afraid of failing. Well, my hope, my prayer is that today we would be invited to challenge the status quo. Wherever it is, maybe it's in this church, maybe it's in your home, maybe it's at your work. I would invite you to challenge the status quo, but not for its own sake. Not simply because. I think, you know, we've seen people who just just push against it just because they want to be kind of a jerk, you know, and just like, I'm just going to, you know, like no system is good enough for me and I'm just going to push against it and and this doesn't work and this doesn't work and this doesn't work and they don't provide answers. I don't think that's what we're called to do. I think we're called to challenge the status quo because we are wholly discontent. Because we are wholly discontent because God has placed something on our heart that we simply can't rest with. We simply can't remain because we are so discontent with this and God has placed it on our heart. Uh, This term comes from uh, a book by Bill Hybels uh, by the same name. He says, holy discontentment is where your passion and your purpose intersect. Where your passion and your purpose intersect. It's what your heart breaks for. It's that thing that God has placed on you, that burden that God has placed on your heart to say, I can't rest. I, I, I see this happen and I, and I can't rest until I do something about this. And if you don't know what that is yet, I would encourage you to find this book. Uh, go to Amazon, go to the library and find Holy Discontent by, by Bill Hybels and search through this and read scripture and to say, I, I wonder what God is calling me to. I wonder what is breaking my heart. Uh, Bill Hybels likens this holy discontentment. Uh, he, he likens this uh, to the character Popeye. You know, how many of you remember Popeye? 
A little bit? Yeah, all right. So, you know, Popeye, uh, his girlfriend's name was... Olive oil, you know, and, and, and olive oil, Popeye was just infatuated with, with olive oil and, and, and she was his passion and she was his, his passion. And, 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 you know, every once in a while there would be this episode and something would happen to olive oil and, and, and Popeye would just get this, like this passion stirred up in him and he would have this phrase and he'd say, that's all I can stands, right? That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And so then he would grab like the can of spinach, right? And, and he would guzzle it down and he would get the muscles and he would go and do the thing. And he would go and he would save olive oil. And I wonder what that is for you. What is that thing that you cannot stand? What is that, what is that news story? What, what, is, what is that story? What is that thing that you see every day that you simply can't stand anymore? What is that in your life? And what are you called to do about it? And what is the status quo? What is the system that is currently perceived as working that you're called to push against? Jesus had a lot of this in his own life. Uh, Jesus had a lot of status quo, and he came into the world and he said, you know, this isn't working. This isn't working, and here's what I think we need to do about it. And, and, and so Jesus pushed against the status quo. But here's the thing. He believed in the status quo, but, but he believed in its rightful place. And what he saw was a lot of people in Jesus' time, they were taking these laws that God had given and they were adding to. You know, and they're saying, okay, here's this law, you know, it, it, it's about the Sabbath. And, and, and the Sabbath law came in, it was a law about how you should rest on the Sabbath because God rested on the Sabbath and, and, and God loves you. And so God wants you to rest and rejuvenate and there's no amount of work that you could ever do that would earn God's love. And so you should rest on this day. And they said, okay, we're going to rest, but we got to make all these laws about how to rest you know, we got to make all, all of these rituals, all these laws about how to do this thing. And so they made sure that everybody knew about all these different kind of laws about how to rest, the things you could do and the things you couldn't do. And one of the things you couldn't do is harvest your grain. You, you couldn't go out and collect the grain um, from the field, which made sense. I mean, those are people's, that was people's work. That was their job. And so they said, you can't do your job. You can't work on the Sabbath. But then they said, what about picking the heads of the grain? You know, what if I'm hungry and I pick the heads of the grain? They said, well, you know, that's kind of like harvesting. So you can't do that thing. And they said, even if we're hungry, even if we need food? And they said, no, you can't even do that on the Sabbath. And so the disciples and Jesus are walking through a field and, and the disciples look at Jesus and say, Jesus, we're hungry. And Jesus looks around and he says, there's grain right here. Why, why, don't, why don't we do this? I mean, it's, it, it's food right here. Let's, let's eat this grain. So they started to eat the grain and the Pharisees said, listen, Jesus, you're a rabbi. You're a teacher of the law. And, and, and here your disciples are not, not disobeying the Sabbath. And Jesus turns to them and he says these words. He said, um, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. That the status quo was made for us. We were not made for the status quo. The system was made for us. We were not made for the system. We are not here just to keep everyone else happy. We are here to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did is he challenged the status quo to allow for new people. Jesus challenged the status quo to allow for new people because he saw these laws. He saw these lines that had been drawn. They said, this is us and that is them. And we've got to do these laws. We've got to do all these things so that we know who's in and who's out. 
And, and we're going to practice these things, and we're going to make sure that everybody knows that we are the in people and they are the out people. And Jesus came in and he pushed against the status quo and he said, stop keeping people out. That every time Jesus challenged the status quo is to allow room for new people. That Jesus challenged the status quo of the Sabbath in the Gospel of Mark. He challenged the status quo of the Sabbath by picking grain because in the next verse he was going to do something even more drastic. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and there was a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees, everyone else watched him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So that they might accuse him. Now notice, they watched him and to see if he would heal him, not to watch this miracle happen, not to see if this man's life would get drastically better by, by having two useful hands. They watched him so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come forward. And then he looks at all the people just staring at him, just waiting. And he said, listen, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him to destroy him. That he was a man who was considered on the outside. A man with any kind of abnormality, especially a deformity like this, that any person who had any kind of abnormality was pushed outside. They were unclean. They were not good enough that we have to make ourselves pure. And that means that we have to keep these kinds of people out. And this person comes into the synagogue, comes into the place with the holy people, with the good people, with the right people. And Jesus heals him on the very day that he wasn't supposed to heal him. Because here's the thing. These people thought that before this man ever entered the house of God, that he should fix his hand. That before this man ever came inside, he should be made perfect. He should be made well. Many times we think people, before they come into church, they need to figure out their stuff. Right Before they ever come into church, they need to find Jesus. They need to read their, their entire Bible. They need to you know, already be tithing. They need to have prayed every day of their life. But that's the very reason they come here. Can you imagine how backwards that is? How, how opposite that is? That Jesus says, listen, they're coming here so that they could be made well. The, 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 those people who, who aren't sick, they don't need a doctor. It's the very people who, who aren't healthy. They're the ones who need the doctor. That many times in the church, we can get this status quo of just us. You know, isn't it great that it's just us and it's all these people who are good and nice and we dress well and we look good and we don't smell. And, and those other people, those people on the outside, you know, they, they need to take a shower before they come in. You know, they need to be made well before they come in. They need to figure out their life and all their baggage and all their stuff before they ever get into here. And Jesus said that's the very reason they should be here. That all of those reasons, all of those things... We've drawn a false line. Jesus pushed every boundary so that outsiders could become insiders. And so should we, church. So should we. Every time we see a status quo, every time we see a system that keeps people out, we should push against that and push against it hard because that was the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus spent his entire life pushing this boundary, drawing this circle just a little bit wider and a little bit wider to say them too, and them too, and also them, and, and these people, and those people, they're all welcome to this place. And that should be our ministry as well. And so I'm going to invite you to challenge the status quo, and we're going to look at a couple of ways to do that. What does it look like to challenge the status quo? And, and the first step is to pray. I think it's a good idea. You know, just in general, just pray. Um, but, you know, like pray about it. If, 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 this, if this challenge isn't coming from God, then I think it's coming from the wrong place, that we should pray about it. And, and we should ask God, is this, is this what you're really calling me to do? And then when we have the conversation, whether it's with the church staff, if you see something that's going on that's not allowing, allowing outside people in, I hope that you'll talk to us. Uh, if you see something at your, at your office or your work or your home or whatever it is, when you have that conversation with whomever it is, I hope that you'll be honest. You know, be honest about the way you feel about it. Say, like, I see this thing going on and I don't, I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know, you know what to think, but, but this is what I feel. This is what I feel like God is calling us to do. Be honest. I hope uh, that when you have that conversation, you'll also lead with the goal. You know, at Acts 2, we're here to help non-religious and non-Christians become radical Christ followers. We talk about it every week. And when somebody comes to us and says, I I think we need to change something that we're doing. I know we've been doing this for a long time, but I think we need to change it. And we say, why? And you say to help non-religious and non-Christians become radical Christ followers, we're going to listen. Because that's the exact reason we're here. If you say, I think we need to change this because I like this kind of coffee and not that kind of coffee, I don't think it's a good reason to change, right? We should lead with the goal and the same thing with your work, the same thing with your home. You say, I think our business, our, our, our family exists for this reason, and I think we need to change for this reason. I hope that you'll lead with the goal. As you have these conversations and as you have this kind of conflict, um, I, I desperately hope that you'll avoid triangulation. Avoid triangulation. And you have some space on your sermon notes. Uh, I, I hope that you'll draw this picture. Um, this is called a drama triangle. And, uh, and I think most of us find ourselves in it um, at one time or another. Um, what you see is a, a victim down here at the bottom. Uh, and the victim is the poor me, right? The victim is the one that the persecutor has hurt. Um, and, you know, if we say, well, like, you know, I'm the victim, the persecutor is the system, the persecutor is the CEO, the persecutor is the pastor, the persecutor is my spouse or, or whatever it is, you know, somebody has hurt me. And instead of going directly to the persecutor and talking to that person about it, who do we seek out? Who do we seek out? The rescuer, right? And we say, oh, this person hurt my feelings and I'm not going to talk to them about it, but I'm going to talk to you about it. And I'm going to talk to you about it every time we get together, right? You have that person in your life. You've had that person to say like, I'm, you know, this person really hurt my feelings and this is how they hurt my feelings and you won't believe what they did this time and this is how they hurt my feelings and this is what happened and this is what happened and, and it drives the persecutor crazy and they're like, oh my gosh, this person is talking to me and I can't get over it. You know, I got to do something about it. And so what do they do? They go and talk to the persecutor, right? And so they go and talk to the persecutor, and now the rescuer is the victim, the persecutor is the rescuer, and now the victim is the persecutor, right? And, and if you ever find yourself on this triangle at any stage, at any, any role on that triangle, you're going to be the others. It's just, just natural. It's going to happen. And so as you deal with conflict, as you deal... As you deal with pushing against the status quo, when you have a problem, when you have an issue with somebody who you believe is representing that status quo, I hope that you'll talk to that person directly and have a direct and honest conversation with that person. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. And he says, listen, if you have an issue, if somebody sins against you, you should talk directly to that person. 
Don't bring other people in if they don't need to be in that conversation. Have, have, a, have a dyad, a conversation directly with that person. Don't, don't triangulate other people in it. You know, if you have a problem here at the church that something's happening and you say, I really don't like that, don't talk to your friend about it. Talk to the leadership. Talk to us about it and say, this is what's happening. I, we're here to help non-religious and non-active Christians become radical Christ followers, and this is a way I see that we're not doing it. I, I hope that you'll have that conversation with us because you're the ones that see it. You're the ones that can understand it. The, the status quo works really well for the church leadership. The status quo works pretty well for me, or else I would have asked to change it before, right? And so I hope that, especially as we work to bring new people in, I hope that we'll have these conversations, we'll avoid triangulation, and that we'll keep pushing. Because if God has placed a burden on your heart, if God has placed something on your heart, I hope that you'll keep after it, because it's not going to work the first time. And it's not maybe even going to work the second time. I hope that you'll keep after it. Uh, the, the writers of uh, Five Practices of Exemplary Readership write this, that any system will unconsciously conspire to maintain the status quo and prevent change. That many times there's not just a boardroom of, of angry people who don't like you that are sitting around conspiring against you, right? That, that I don't believe that that board exists. I, I don't believe there are those people, but I believe there is a system that works at some level. And if you push against that system, the system will inherently push back. And it's only going to work. It's only going to change if you keep after it, if you keep doing something about it. That's my hope for all of us, is that we would challenge the status quo, and we would challenge the status quo not for its own sake, but for new people, to allow room for others to experience the glory of God, to allow room for others to be included in a community. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do, and I've talked about it a couple of times in the past, and I think it's really important. I hope we'll develop three friendships with someone in need of community. I hope that we'll develop three new friendships with someone in need of community, because the world needs community. And the reason that people become followers of Christ is not because they saw something on Facebook. It's because they have a friend who is a follower of Christ. And they said, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'd love for you to come to church with me. And is there anything I can do for you? And when, when their parent dies, the Christian is there providing a casserole. And when their kid's in trouble, they're sitting in the living room with them having tough conversations. How do you develop three new friendships with someone in need of community so that we can actually begin to understand? We we can actually start to see the world through new people's eyes and say, what does the status quo look like to you? And I hope as we look at um, pushing against the status quo that that we will read uh, Nehemiah 1 through 2 today. You don't have to read the whole thing, just 1 through 2. And, and, And you learn about what it means to push against the status quo, what it means for your heart to break what it means for you to have a passion, a burden. I I hope that you'll read this, that you'll look at it. Because I believe God has placed a burden on all of our hearts. God has placed something in each and every one of us that is is causing us to change, that that causes us to push against the status quo. And I hope that you'll find that thing. I hope that you'll find it because I believe it has the power to change the world. I truly do. I believe God has given us all the gifts and the graces, everything we need to change something, to allow new people in. I think what it looks like is, is Clara Looper. Clara Looper was an Oklahoma City public school teacher in the 1950s and 60s. And while Clara was teaching, schools were segregated. And not just schools, but diners, laundromats, bathrooms, water fountains, 
that there was a line drawn between white and black. There was a line drawn that said, these people are in and these people are out. The more Clara started to understand of what Jesus' ministry was about, the more she couldn't stand for this line, the more her heart broke, the more she developed a burden, a passion for this thing. And so she gathered the people around her. The people around her were her students. And she started to talk to them about the rights that they possessed. The rights that they possessed, not because of what they could do, but because of the fact that they were children of God. She got them together and they went to Kat's drugstore and they sat at the front diner where the big sign said whites only and they sat at the bar and they asked to be served and they were refused. And they sat there a little while longer and they said, can we please be served? And they said no. And the owners of the drugstore called the police and the police showed up and said, you can't sit here. And they said, why? And they said, because of your skin color. And they said, that's not good enough. Claire and these students sat at the drugstore for two days. It was the first and the longest sit-in of the civil rights movement, all because Clara's heart broke. Because she had a burden on her heart that God had placed there, that the status quo, the way things are working, is not good enough. What is that burden on your heart? What is that system? What is that thing? What is that way things are working that is keeping people on the outside? I hope that you'll do something about it. Because it's only through the followers of Christ that this world will change for the better.